Pavo is a professional development platform designed to meet learners where they are by providing engaging learning experiences, peer learning opportunities, and coaching. We don't just teach you new concepts, we help you apply those concepts in your day-to-day -day work life. Welcome to Kavu's 16th Minute Podcast. I'm Rebecca Dobrinsky, the product owner for Kavu's content team and the host of the 16th Minute. At Kavu, we use the term 16th Minute for topics that come up during our 15-minute daily scrum but need more of a discussion. It's a great way to let your team know that you need a bit more clarification on something you're working on or simply need some time to talk through an idea. Let's get this episode 16th minute started. Today, we once again welcome our resident coach, thought leader, and Kavu COO, Dr. Larry Tribble. Larry and I are going to dive into something we all need more coaching and practice on, crucial conversations. Larry is an experienced businessman with a 30-year career in leadership and management, mostly in the IT and development space. He completed his graduate studies in 2016 with an award-winning dissertation on the strategic management of information technology and was a finalist for the Strategic Management Society's Best Paper Award in 2015. He received the UA Culverhouse Business School's Outstanding Dissertation Award for the 2016 academic year. He was part of the executive office of the largest IT project at the time for the state of Alabama, integrating six different systems from state agencies. He has run his own management consulting business and is now helping Kavu reach its goals. Larry earned his BS in management from the University of Alabama at Birmingham in 1991, and from the University of Alabama, he has earned an MBA in 2006, an MS in Enterprise Consulting in 2012, and his PhD in Strategic Information Systems in 2016. He also holds active certifications in Scrum and Scrum at Scale. Welcome back, Larry. Thank you. Happy to be here. So today we're talking about crucial conversations, the book, as well as the concept of having those crucial conversations with the people in your life, be they family, friends, coworkers, and on the surface, the skills seem to be pretty similar, no matter the context of your crucial conversation. Are they similar? Do they actually differ? Well, the core of crucial conversations is all about how humans react to challenging situations. And the problem is that our emotions get involved. We get a fight or flight and an adrenaline response when we face crucial conversation. And those emotions don't change a lot from one conversation to the next. Mm -hmm. um, and in addition, Crucial Conversations is not a script for particular kinds of conversations as much as it is a general approach or framework uh, for dealing with situations that arise when we're in relationships with other people. So kind of once we understand what's going on, we can use words that are natural to us. Of course, you know, when you first start practicing anything, you're a little stilted and all that happens. But, you know, kind of the other piece is that there are a few special cases that are covered uh, in the book and on the Crucial Conversations blog. One of the conversations that come to mind is having a crucial conversation with your boss. <laughs> Have you had those? Oh, one or two, maybe even yeah. some recently. <laughs> yeah. So uh, their suggestion is just to to acknowledge the fact that it's your boss, and they refer to it as saluting the flag, and I'm making air quotes here. But in that kind of conversation, 
you know, honestly, you, you, you can't coerce the boss. And so mm-hmm. you just acknowledge that in the conversation, right? Hey, boss, I've, I've got some things that I want to talk about. And I understand, you know, that you're the boss and we're going to do things your way. But I'd like for you to have this information, right? And just inserting that into the conversation. So there are some kind of situational adjustments that you make. But the core of it, I mean, if you do the, the, the basics, then you'll be 80% better off. Mm-hmm. And then tweaking for specific uh, situations will then polish off that other 20%. So what are the, I think in the book, they call it the three elements that uh, make a conversation crucial? Yeah. It's not hard to figure out when you're in a crucial conversation. And they define it as the first thing is that there are opposing opinions, right? So if we agree, then it's really hard for a conversation to get out of hand. Although there is sort of a special case, it's called violent agreement. So remind me to talk about violent agreement (laughs) before we stop. So opposing opinions, and these are opinions that are strongly held. This is not some casual, you know, I, I prefer, you know, hamburger X to hamburger Y, right? It's really uh, things that are really close to us that that we're having to address, and that creates part of the challenge. And then the third piece is, you know, it's kind of a high-stakes conversation. It involves behavior. It involves our feelings. It involves important issues in our relationship. So when those three things are present, um, you really the the thing that gets addressed here is that when we when we see this happening or when a conversation turns crucial, our adrenaline happens to us, mm-hmm. and then we get this fight or flight instinct, and that shuts our brains down, and so we're not doing very nuanced things. We're not using nuanced words. We're using. Uh, emotional words and we're using you know attack vectors often against the other person if we know them well to try and coerce them to to recognize our point and that's so you can feel them coming and that's really part of the problem so before we get to the next question i'm going to go ahead and bring us back to violent agreement because i have a pretty good idea what you're what you're talking about just based on experience but I'd like to unpack that a little bit. Sure. So violent agreement is is the crucial conversations term for the fact that we agree on 98.6% of the subject matter. Yet we keep going until we find some nuance that we can fight about. Mm. And you've been in these kinds of conversations. I certainly mm-hmm. have. Right. And it's like, well, yeah, but it needs to be taupe instead of beige. And it's like, you know, do I really care? But then we fight to be right rather than fight to get to the right answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, taupe, uh, that's horrible. We had taupe. I don't even know what you mean when you say taupe. You're just saying taupe because, you know, beige is not good enough for you. You know, whatever. You know, let's be. Right. And then so that those things can really, you know, it's like, you know, watching two 
different, I don't know, politicians go at it. Oh, yeah, but you, you know, depends on what the definition of is is. Mm-hmm. So I hope I didn't skewer anybody's sacred cow right there. But <laughs> <laughs> we get to earning debating points and trying to force the other to admit that they're wrong about something. And then that gives us the conversational slash political power to push them around. Yeah. Right. But yeah, yeah I thought it was an interesting. Violent agreement. That is that is interesting. And I've definitely been in probably multiple of those kinds of conversations over the years. So the next, we're going to jump back into our regularly scheduled questions. Um, The fool's choice. So this is what I'm interested in diving a little deeper into, because I recently had to have one of those conversations where when I originally brought up the topic, it was kind of blown off. So I, I chose silence to preserve the relationship, which we often do. It's a very human, human thing to do. But of course, kept gnawing at me and it kept gnawing at me and then something happened and I just ripped the band-aid right off. So, and just in case anybody, before you get the idea, this was a personal thing. It was not a coffee situation. So it's not work-based that I'm talking about. But um, so, yeah, I want to dive into this fool's choice a little bit with you. Yeah. So the the way they, the the fool's choice in this context means the choice between having the conversation and ruining the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty commonly what we think of when, we, when we're approaching this, right? It's, hey, I've got an idea that I need to talk to person X about something, but I'm not going to do it because they're going to respond poorly And then that's going to hurt the relationship or hurt their feelings, or this is going to turn into a six hour debate or whatever it is. And I usually make the point with people that you face that fool's choice out of experience, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we've all jumped into this conversation. The problem is that we've done it without a good skill set. And so using the skill set that we have and under conditions of adrenaline stupidity, right, and in a relationship that really matters to us, we go jumping into this conversation and it goes poorly and it does damage the relationship, right? Um, But just knowing that it's possible for there to be a third option, a middle ground, is usually enough to defeat the fool's choice. So it's the fool's choice is kind of supported by the fact that we don't have skills in this area. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Crucial Conversations book is all about, is to put some skills into your hands, put some patterns into your brain so that you begin to learn and experience the fact that you can have a crucial conversation without ruining the relationship. And I had it. And it has not ruined the relationship, you know, so uh, from personal experience, these are, these are really super important skills. So we also, go ahead, Larry. Yeah. So one of the core things that we have to decide is that the, the person that we need to have the conversation with is a reasonable, rational, decent person. Mm Mm-hmm. And 
our curiosity gets up and we go, okay, you know, I trust this other individual, right? I mean, you know, I'm coming up on my 30th anniversary here in about four weeks, right? I mean, I trust my wife mm-hmm. and I know that she's a reasonable, decent person. And so instead of, and we'll get to talking about stories here in just a second, I think, um, instead of telling myself stories, I need to be curious about, you know, this is a woman I love and there's a reason that she's behaving in this way. And it's not my story. Mm -hmm. So maybe that turned into a decent segue. That turned into the perfect segue. It's almost like we have these questions written out or something. (laughs) We're prepared. It's it's amazing what happens (laughs) when you prepare for something. (laughs) So yes, the next question that we were going to talk about today was the whole mastering your own story or that whole, based on my perception, this is the story I'm telling myself. And why is it important to reflect on the story you're telling yourself and what can we do about that? Yeah. Well, the reason it's important to look into the story you're telling yourself is because it's almost perfectly wrong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for, for, for the thought exercise, you know, think about you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off. Right. So, you know, a lot of bad things happen and it's because of the story we tell ourselves. Right. Oh, that person's an inconsiderate jerk and they don't think I'm important. And oh, by the way, they scared me. So my adrenaline's getting up a little bit and, you know, you're just a jerk. Okay. You're a bad, bad human. And we make this story up almost immediately, right? The human brain is wired such that we find cause and we tell ourselves sequences of events. So in in that situation, you know, it's, and I think, did we talk in a previous podcast about the fundamental attribution error? I'm pretty sure Mm -hmm. we did. Yeah. Well, but just a quick recap. So the fundamental attribution error is, in very short uh, words, is if you behave in a way I don't like, I think it's because you're stupid or unknowledgeable or you were brought up poorly. When I look at my own action, I think situationally and I think, well, anybody that understood my situation would have behaved in the same way. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So with the fundamental attribution error, and this is not something that that is made up. This is this is scientific fact. Right. With that, we're going to oh, plus the fact that we're all catastrophizers inside. Right. It takes me five minutes to go from, oh, this letter's from the IRS to I'm going to be living under a bridge in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. That's catastrophizing. <laughs> we think the worst possible set of events is going to happen and it's going to kill us or whatever it is. Right. So we're storytellers and we're catastrophizers. So we tell ourselves the worst possible story. The guy that cut you or girl that cut you off in traffic is not out to get you. They probably didn't even notice you were there. Mm-hmm. And they're not, you know, they're not stupid. Right. So mastering our stories then becomes a twofold thing. So the first is to. When you're into the crucial conversation, you don't start with your story. Okay, 
So that's mm -hmm. what I usually do is I start with my story. I'm mad at you and here's why. Mm -hmm. Okay. What we need to do in a crucial conversation is we need to start with the facts. Right. And we need to say, because facts are not controversial. Stories about facts can be highly controversial and manipulated. But the yeah. facts themselves, right? Hey, Rebecca, and you don't do this. Hey, Rebecca, did you realize that you interrupted me three times in the meeting? And you're like, no, I didn't. It's like, okay, well, we recorded it, so let's go look, right? Mm -hmm. And and you really, even interrupted is kind of a wishy-washy fact, right? You want to get down to the core part that everybody pretty much has to agree with, right? And then from there, you can tentatively state what your story is, because if you don't state what your story is, then it's, okay, why is this important, right? Why should I be having, why, why are you having this conversation with me, right? Um, so when we say, you know, mastering mastering our story, one is to to not lead with the story in the conversation. And two is generally try to learn how to not make up catastrophizing stories, right? It doesn't do you any good. Somebody cuts you off in traffic or whatever it is, you know, I've gotten to the point where I lie to myself. <laughs> when somebody does that, I'm like, oh, I guess they're having some sort of medical emergency or bless their hearts or, you know, and, and really try to believe that story to be true because it doesn't matter what story I tell myself. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change their behavior, right? Oh, I'll show them. I'll scare them like they scared me. Well, that's how you get in wrecks and road rage, right? So that's, that's really interesting. And there's there's a, a, an example of this at the book. So a couple and one partner in this couple uh, is going over the credit card statement and finds a uh, a charge to a hotel that's like a mile away from the house. And so the person that finds this information out immediately does what? Catastrophizing. Does what? Oh my gosh, it's they're having an affair. What are they doing at the hotel? Everything. I got to find a divorce lawyer. Yeah. yeah. Right? And so you're like immediately hurt. But you're immediately hurt because of the story you're telling yourself. Right? So in this case what we would do, you know, is is we would say, "Hey, you know what? I found this charge." on the credit card bill. Now, it's important and I want you to address it because it might be that this is a sign of some sort of a problem or something I need to be aware of, you know? I mean, because people don't just rent hotel rooms right down the street. Mm -hmm. So can we together look into this and see, you tell me your story, right? And then we'll have a conversation about where we actually are and what we need to do. Um, but yeah, so it's important to get back to that fact, to to ignore your story temporarily, right? Because it'll make you crazy, mm -hmm. right? And so you go into the conversation and and you try your best to not, you know, you definitely don't lead with your story, you lead with the facts. And then you try your best not to let your story, which is completely fabricated, right? At this point, your story is fiction. Exactly. And so you try and put that aside 
and then deal with the facts and then tentatively say, well, you know, this could be an indication that we have a deeper problem. So let's 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 get through it. Right. I think that's a really, really good advice. And especially because when you once you start catastrophizing, suddenly it just seeps into everything. And you are in this mode of catastrophizing. Oh, and yeah. it, if you're not careful, it doesn't stop. So uh, and that's it's yeah, that's not like a judgment call. That it's human nature. There's nothing we it can is. do about it. And we all get caught up in it. Oh, absolutely. So once you're having conversations like this, at some point, some sort of decision or resolution is going to need to be made. So the the concept in the book is moving to action. So why is having parameters on decision making so important? Yeah, um, it's interesting how we respond when we get to the decision-making part, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can have the crucial conversation and we can straighten out the situation, but something still needs to be done. And this is, this is maybe more in a business setting when we're, when we're, when we're in formal decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's pretty rare for in relationships. Well, you know, we need to get together and we need to make a decision about X, Y, and Z. It happens, but it's much more common in the business setting. And, you know, we really got to think about decision making generally. So, I mean, the idea is we decide what we're going to do and we decide who who's going to do it. Okay. Well, and that in and of itself can be a crucial conversation, right? Mm -hmm. High stakes decision making is almost always a crucial conversation because you got people that want different things and somebody's going to be the quote winner and somebody's going to be the quote loser. Um, but, you know, when you think about decision-making, uh, I classify decision-making in that there are really only five ways to make a decision. Okay. okay. And I'll, I'll kind of list them out. Okay. So first is the situation decides for us, right? There's really not an option, Right. I mean, you're presented with a, you know, $5,000 bill from the IRS. You don't get to decide whether or not you're going to pay it. The question then becomes, okay, our decision, there's only one choice. And our decision is, okay, how do we make this thing work out? Right. How do we make the situation uh, uh, better? Or, or, or how do we do this thing that we're constrained to do? So that's one, right? It's really not a decision. It looks like a decision, but it's really not. Um, two, the second way is that the boss decides or the boss's delegate. Anyway, a single person in the mm -hmm. team makes the decision. And that can be with or without input from the other people involved. Okay. Um, and that's, well, we'll get into it a little bit more. I'll get into some detail here in a second. Um, the third is flip a coin. Decide on some random process that's going to make the decision for you. And it's really interesting how this works because there's this whole notion of fairness, right? And pretty much everybody, I mean, it seems like a stupid way to make a decision, but pretty much everybody agrees the coin toss is fair. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like across the board from, you know, making choices as a kid to who gets the ball first on the football field. Absolutely. And it's fascinating because, um, in sports rules, 
they a lot of times in leagues they're trying to decide who gets into the playoffs and who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Okay, almost every set of rules like that, if they can't use the rules to break the tie, and they'll go through all kinds of things, right? Offensive points scored football. I'm talking about right now. Offensive yeah. points scored in the season. Defensive points allowed in the season. And they got this this rubric that they go through to make this decision. And if everything's tied after seven or eight notions of how to decide the 10th rule is flip a coin. And, you know, and so that backs into this whole notion of there's lots of decisions that become more critical as we talk about, Mm -hmm. right? We get emotionally invested, right? Who's going to cater the next office party, right? I want the team to make the decision. Well, if they're 50, 50, right. Then a coin toss is exactly the way to go. Rather than continuing yeah. to dig down and find these increasingly minor differences, right, and debating about them, the violent we're back to violent agreement, mm-hmm. right, kind of. And so, anyway, flip a coin. It's a little bit, you know, you may or may not be able to get away with it, but in certain situations, it's literally the best way to go because people agree that it's a fair way to do it, yeah. right, in the case of a tie. Um, so that's the third, flip a coin. Um, fourth is a vote. And we'll talk about that. And then the fifth way is consensus. And those are listed in order of kind of the easiest to implement, the first you should try. Mm-hmm. And then as you get into vote and consensus, then it's because the situation is forcing you to do that because those things are very difficult to do well. Okay. So again, just to run them down again, since I can't show you a, a slide here. Number one is there's really not a choice. The situation determines our response. It's just how do we make this work and how do we make it work so that we can feel good about it? Two is a single person, the boss or the boss's delegate, decides, and it may be with or without input from other people. Third is flip a coin because it is a decisive event. Um, Four is vote and five is consensus. Um, So we set these rules up in advance so that people know how they're going to participate in the decision making, right? If you call the team together and you say, we've got to make a decision, okay, then they're expecting to participate in the decision and the conversation becomes crucial when they, well, first of all, it already is because it might be a high stakes decision, but then when they feel like they've been asked for their input and their input doesn't affect the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of like the top three easiest ways to get somebody mad at you. Mm-hmm. And and some people pretend they want the input when they really don't, right? And they're just following the forms and trying to be seen as, you know, a nice boss or an inclusive person or whatever that looks like. But secretly, they've already made the decision. They're just going to let the team talk for an hour or two, and then they're going to go, "Yep, well, these points helped me make the decision." So here it is. Um, and then, <clears throat> so a vote is is a decision-making process, but it's really specific in that everybody's got to share equally in the outcome and roughly have the same knowledge set about the issue, right? And it's pretty rare for that to be the case, right? True. And so, I mean, we even complain about whichever political party you are. You complain about the other side being ignorant of the issues, right? And so, um, anyway, um, 
not to get off on that particular train wreck. <laughs> but uh, and then, you know, one one thing that we toss around, this is really important. One thing that we toss around, when we're making decisions. We use the word consensus. We're going to come to a consensus and then we're going to move forward. Oh, that is a big old, that's like a, a business jargon bingo winner there. Absolutely. Consensus, right? And hopefully it's going to be a synergistic consensus. But anyway, <laughs> we, won't, we won't put that barrier in front of us. Achieving and recognizing consensus is amazingly difficult. And there are people that are trained to do it, right? High stakes negotiation people, right? Um, some lawyers, arbitrators. You know, and they're really highly trained in order to be able to forge a consensus and then recognize it when it happens. And so I think we use consensus as a code word for everybody gets to talk as long as they want, and then I'm still going to have to make the decision. But it throws people off and it sets their expectations differently. So mm -hmm. having decision rules really helps because a lot of times decisions are high stakes conversations. And if you can walk into the room and go, OK, folks, this is a biggie. It's my responsibility to make the decision. But I would like to hear your points before I do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Another another tactic to set this up is to have two teams and have the teams have a debate. Right. Are you talking like assigning sides? Yes. So even if you don't necessarily agree with the side, you yes. Have to, are you for or against it? Yes. Okay. And then and then people get really involved and engaged and they educate themselves. And it doesn't have to be, it can be random choice, right? It doesn't you right. don't have to get you don't have to swap everybody's side. Right. But to get a few people on a team that has to argue in favor of a decision and one or two of them disagrees with it. That'll get you some data. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's that's really, that's input from the team and then make the decision, right? So I didn't mean to confuse the issue there. <laughs> but I, it, it, anyway, I thought, I think that's interesting. So um, like we said in the introduction, crucial conversations are not only a thing that we all deal with, but it's also a book. So tell me, who needs to read this book and why? Well, uh, great. So. Here's who needs to read the book. Only people involved in relationships need to read the book. Everybody else is off the hook. <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's it, it applies really to all of us. I mean, unless you live by yourself on top of a mountain somewhere, you're going to face the crucial conversation. And so much damage can be done to the relationship by consistently mishandling these things. Um, and at the end of the day, we're in relationships precisely because we want the other individual's viewpoint in our world. Mm -hmm. But the fight or flight and the adrenaline response gets in our way. So, um, and, and, and we've all dealt with this because we've all had these conversations poorly. And again, I'll just reemphasize, you know, earlier we mentioned the fool's choice. And really, it's only a, a fool's choice, and I'm not calling anybody a fool, don't get me wrong, because we don't think we have the correct tactics to deal with it. Our history has shown us that we, we fare poorly. I'm not going to say we behave poorly, but our outcomes are not what we want 
And that's really a skill tactical problem, right? Mm -hmm. So once you learn this material and begin to practice this material, then you, you see the third option, which is to have a conversation with another reasonable and rational human being. Let's figure out, you know, let's talk about our stories, right? And then let's figure out how we're going to move forward uh, to preserve the relationship. So I highly recommend it. Uh, it's very much a, uh, a training book about, you know, do this, don't do that. Here's the model, right? Here's the kind of things you want to think about while you're doing it. Um, and it's not a terribly technical or difficult read. Um, and it will absolutely change the way you approach these situations. Well, that's definitely a good recommendation. Um, I was thinking like, well, you know, I could just go be like a hermit or a troll under a bridge. But then it occurred to me that when I have to come out and ask the riddle for people to cross the bridge, I'm having a crucial conversation. Well, yeah, now that you mention it, <laughs> that would be. <laughs> oh. So, all right. Well, that's it for us today. Larry, as always, thank you so much for joining us and getting into one of these conversations. I always appreciate your insight. And, well, thank uh, you. It's always fun to uh, be able to, to equip people, right, and be able to, to help people understand that these resources are available um, and, and it's not difficult to acquire. All right. Well, again, we're glad everyone joined us today. And this is it for this episode of the 16th Minute. The 16th Minute is brought to you by our sponsor, Sagayo. Start your technology journey and transform your business with Sagayo's innovative business technology services. Visit sagayo.io today. This episode of the Kavu 16th Minute is brought to you by Kavu Benefit Corporation. The 16th Minute is hosted by Rebecca Dobrinsky and is produced by Melissa Blanchard. Audio production is done by Melissa Blanchard and Matteo Antello. The logo was created by Melissa Crochet. And our resident scrum master, Matteo Antello, keeps us all in line so we can bring you these episodes.